1 Samuel 17, verse 37, the, the word says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. I'm going to share some scriptures, and then we'll talk. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 18 says, One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre, in other words, um, the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is fine looking. He's a fine looking young man. Come on, sisters, he was fine. Say, he was fine. Oh, your husbands are right there, sorry. And the Lord is with him. I'm going to talk about this morning of a mighty man of God. And I think we are all pretty much familiar with him. His name is David. And he was a young man of God, mighty and anointed. And he was powerful. And his legacy was powerful. And in the scripture, in the first one that I shared, David went to Saul because there was a Philistine that was tormenting the the, the Israelite army, the Israel army, Israeli army. And so for 40 days and 40 nights, the people of Israel and the army of Israel were trembling with fear. None of them wanted to confront this Philistine because he was so intimidated. And a part of those, th those are part of the army was, um, David had three brothers in that army. And none of these boys wanted to fight the good battle. They didn't want to fight the cause. And so David went to the armies and said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Who is this Philistine that defies our living God? And so as he was going around, you know, one of his brothers got angry and said, get out of here. The, the Bible says that he was angered. His heart was in anger towards David. And as, as the report got around about what David was saying, it reached to the king, and the king called to David and, and wanted, well, David, what is this that you're talking about? And David said, Saul, I, I believe that we can defeat this Philistine, for it is by the Lord that will deliver us through, by, the, by the mighty hand of God. And it's because of, you know, I fought a bear and I fought a lion. What is this Philistine to me? And so Saul was probably a little shocked because he wasn't a man of war yet. Saul was like, I've been a, a warrior since my youth. What are you? And so he said, you know what? Okay, you really want to get this guy? Come over and I'll, put my, I'll give you some armor and you can fight with that. But before all of that took place, before David went out into the army and, and defeated this Philistine, I want to go back a little bit to understand who David really was. Because we all know, hopefully we all know, and if you don't, I want, I'm going to, uh, what is that? Spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you that David defeated that giant. He was a man of victory, and because the Lord was with him. But I want to know, where was David before he became this famous man amongst the Hebrew people, amongst the kingdom of Israel? The Bible says that he was in the shepherd's field, tending to his father's flock. I believe that, uh, you know, God separated David into the flock for a reason. 
And I'm going to give you some background about David. We're going to go deep here. Okay? So if you don't know what the shepherd was doing or, or what it entails, the Bible says that David was a shepherd, so he tended to the sheep. The sheep were put in a field, and that field could have been enclosed, which would have been a little difficult, because usually when a field was enclosed, it was because they were harvesting something. So a majority of the time, usually when the sheep were being um, tended, they would be in an open field, and it was a field where they could just, you know, glean from wherever they needed to and, and do what they do, do what sheep do. And in that time, the shepherd would watch over the sheep. But not just that, but the shepherd would protect the sheep from lions and bears, from animals that would attack not just the harvest, but animals that would attack their, their sheep. And so here David was in a place of training and protecting the sheep, but he was also learning how to uh, fight um, the opposition that was against him. And so here, God placed him in the shepherd's field, but I want to give you a background of David growing up. Now, do any of you guys know David's mother's name? Nobody. Nope. And so I was like, who is David's mother? And usually every now, you know, you hear about, you know, Abraham's wife, Sarah. You hear about, you know, these noble women, Ruth and Naomi. You hear about Deborah. You hear about Abigail. You hear about even Bathsheba, as scandalous as her background was. She was still mentioned in the Bible. And the word doesn't mention her name, but it does mention just a few little times, few little times of David's mother. And so here, I'm going to give you a background of this young man who was powerful and anointed and favored by God. And I want to share with you how he might have grown up. The Bible does not describe his upbringing. It gives us hints through the book of Psalm. And then in Jewish tradition and Jewish history, there are theories of David's mother. So I'm going to share with you two theories here, okay? Jewish tradition states that David was the result of an alleged adulterous relationship. Have you ever heard of this idea of David being born from such sin? Or that even that his mother would commit such a horrible crime against the law of God? Right? I did not know that David had this kind of background myself. So to find this out that she might have been an adulteress shocked me because of the lineage that King David comes from. The theory is based on Psalms 51, verse 5. In sin, my mother conceived me. Okay? In Psalm 69, 8, it says, I am a foreigner to my own family. A stranger to my own mother's children has the same Hebrew word as muzer, meaning, okay, I'm going to read that again one more time so I'm clear because we don't say this word in the church. In Psalm 69, verse 8, it says, I am the foreigner to my own family and a stranger to my own mother's children. The word foreigner, excuse me, the word stranger is like a foreigner, right? But the root word for this word stranger means bastard. Could you imagine? Not King David. 
Not this mighty man of God. Not Pastor Stevon. Not Pastor Toby. Not Pastor Sunny, right? But the word means bastard. So these are little hints of David's background. Now, is it true? We're not absolutely sure. There are suggestions. And let me tell you why. They say that David grew up in a family in which he was despised, rejected, shunned, outcasted. He was treated with scorn and derision. In other words, like mocking, hated him. People were just super mean to him. In Psalm 69, verse 7 through 8, there's the scripture. It also says that the community followed the example of the family and assumed that David was full of sin and guilt in Psalm 69, 11 through 12. And if something ever turned up missing in their community or anything that was stolen, David was forced to replace it even if he didn't steal it. Psalm 69, 11 through 12. Um, he was often the object of jokes and pranks Filling his plate with gall and his cup with vinegar. Psalm 69, 20, verse 21. Yet when David was born, this prominent family members, his prominent family members greeted his birth as an absolute disgust, as an absolute curse. David was not permitted to eat with his family, but was assigned a separate table in the corner. He was given the task of a shepherd in the hope that a wild beast would kill him. This is his family treating him this way. That's hurtful, right? If this is true, it somewhat explains why Jesse did not call David out when Samuel came to anoint him. Because the, the prophet Samuel um, had come to Jesse because the Lord told him, I have anointed a new king, and it's in through this family that I will anoint the next king. And so when Samuel called to Jesse and said, bring me your sons that I may anoint the next king, Jesse brought all his sons except for one. And the reason why was because these were his legitimate children. These were the heirs that would receive his inheritance, except he forgot. David, or not forgot, but he excluded his son. And so it gives you a little bit more understanding of why um, Jesse did not call for David, right? Also, you read in, in uh, Samuel again, uh, when, when David went to the armies of the Lord, it was Eliab who reacted with David and got mad at him and mocked him for thinking that he could de uh, defeat um, Goliath. So I'm going to go a little deeper here, okay? After Jesse had been married, this is, remember, these are theories. These are suggestions. This is Hebrew tradition suggesting it to us. After Jesse had been married for many years, had fathered seven sons with Nisbeth, which is his mother's name, Nisbeth, Tell your neighbor her name is Nisbeth. And he gained honor as a righteous man and spiritual leader in the community, okay? So this was a prominent family. This wasn't some, you know, family that came from the, the, the lowest of the low. This was a, a prominent family who had respect. 
He had become a righteous man and a spiritual leader in the community. Doubts began to fill Jesse's mind about whether or not his line and sea were permanently polluted by his Moabite blood. And if you know the history of Jesse, um, he, his, I believe it was his grandmother, right, Pastor Greg? Yes, it was his grandmother that was a Moabite woman that married, um, I have his name on the tip of my tongue, who married, what was his name, Obed? No, Boaz, Boaz. He, she married Boaz, and um, so she was a Moabite, converted to Judaism, married Boaz, then Boaz passes away, then she, uh, excuse me, I got all these names in my head right now. Um, she gave birth to Jesse. No, she gave birth to Obed, and then Obed gave birth to Jesse. So there was um, uh, Gentile blood in there, Moabite blood in there. And if you know the history of the Moabites, they used to worship idols. And that's a whole other story. Okay? So he started doubting his... Um, his uh, his line is if his if his seed was pure if he was of pure blood, and it was at this point that he resolved to cease all sexual relations with Nisbeth. He did this out of love for her because she, as as a pure Israelite, would be sinning to be married to someone who was of impure Moabite ancestry. So Jesse, wanting to legitimate wanting a legitimate heir came up with the plan to have a son in the same way that his forefather Abraham had done, through relations with his wife's Canaanite maidservant. Whether Jesse was viewed by God as a true Israelite or just a Moabite convert to Judaism, the law allowed him to marry a female convert to Judaism. If he obtained a son from this union, this son would be recognized by all as, as a legitimate heir, thus securing Jesse's family line. When the Canaanite women, when the Canaanite woman was told of this plan, she did not want to participate. She was like, uh-uh, we are not going there. Right? How many pregnant ladies were like, we are not going there ever again? Or is it just me? I guess it's just me. <laughs> um, she did not want to partic- participate because she loved her maidservant. She loved Miss Beth. She loved this woman. And has seen the pain that she had gone through by being separated for her, from her husband for so many years. This wasn't just a week, a day. This was years that he had separated himself from his wife. This wasn't just from last year. This was years. Imagine being away from your spouse for years because of this guy having an issue of identity. Imagine, right? And so, um, so... Nisbeth told about Jesse's plan to, to um, excuse me, the, 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 the servant went and told Nisbeth about the plan. And she said, I don't want to do this. Why don't we do this? Just like back in the day that our forefathers did. When he comes into the, you know, the, the place of intimacy, I'm going to switch places with you. And you're going to, you know, be with your husband and you will conceive a son. And so that's exactly what they did. And so what happened was she ended up getting pregnant. But. Because she didn't tell her husband that it was her, he had not discovered that he had slept with his wife. He thought he was sleeping with the maidservant. So in a couple months later, Nisbeth begins to show up as being pregnant. But nobody knew the truth. So here, um, <clears throat> Jesse didn't know 
that he had slept with his wife. So what else would have thought come through his mind? That she had committed adultery. But because she loved her husband and she did not want to shame this child, she kept it a secret. Because either way, she was condemned. And what I, when I say that, it was because the law permits for you to stone the adulterer, especially a woman. And so, but, but Jesse loved her and he, he restrained the people from stoning her. And I think the reason why God allowed it was because he was a prominent man. So the people respected him. And he had so much respect that um, he spared her, right? Um, another theory is that David's mother was also, maybe, a suggestion, David's mother was most likely the second wife of Jesse. The first wife being the mother of David's half-brothers. Jesse's first wife, sta- uh, Jesse's first wife, uh, the first wife being the mother of David's half-brothers. Jesse's first wife standing before the righteousness of the law. Um, her not having been married to or the concubine of a heathen king. Did that make sense? So it's suggesting that um, his mother had been married to somebody else or the concubine of a heathen king, an enemy's king, right? Um, and so this means that this would allow his other brothers to feel more superior, more self-righteous, more dominant, and that he was just, you know, this half-brother. Now, this is why we get the story of, or the Psalms, of why David cries so much. He weeps to God. He brings his complaints to God. He shares his pain to God. And these songs were not written after he was brought into the kingdom. It was throughout his life. And so when you read the Psalms, David is giving us hints of his life and what it was growing up as a bastard, as an illegitimate child, as someone who came into powerful authority, came from this hard background. And when you think about this, can you imagine, and I think that some of us came from this background where maybe you were rejected, or maybe you were the bastard child, or maybe you were the kid that nobody wanted and they made you sit away from the rest of the family because you had some kind of disease. Can you imagine being mocked and ridiculed and the, 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 the subject of jokes and whispered behind your back? Imagine your son, your daughter, your child running through this church and the congregation, the, 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 temple, the temple would be filled with people. Oh, that's that pastor child. Oh, that's the one that Miss Ben had an affair with. That's the result of sin. Those were the whispers that Miss Beth could handle, that even Jesse could handle. But here this young man, young little boy, was brought into sin, didn't have a choice, didn't have an option, but he was birthed into this life with this coat on his, on his back, with this jacket on his back. And so I think, man, I didn't really, li- really realize what David went through. I didn't understand really the depth of who he was and what made him. And so I believe here that when David mentions to 
um, Saul, we're coming back to Saul. You know, Saul, I've been in the field shepherding my father's sheep. I've killed a bear. I've killed, you know, a lion. Don't trip. I've got this. I know what it is to defeat the real enemy. And so here, this was a place that before David could enter into his destiny, let's call it, I believe that God had to separate him into a place of separation, not isolation, but in the same sense of um, God separating him, putting him in a private place so that it could just be be him and God. And the Bible says that he was there often, and um, he had encountered uh, some things in his life that um, the theory suggests or the words suggest that when he was sent to shepherd his father's sheep, that hopefully he would die out there. And so here, these the human flesh, the man, the brothers, their intention was, let him die out there. Who cares? He's a bastard anyways. But God turned that around and placed him in that field so that he could deal. Gosh. That he could deal with this broken man. He could deal with this young boy that was within him to prepare him and to speak to him and to speak into his life and prepare him for his destiny. Sometimes we enter into a place in our life where we feel like we're so alone and we feel like, man, I feel so isolated by all these people. I could be in a room full of these people, and yet I feel so alone. And it's not to feel nobody knows the trouble, you know? No. It's a place that God allows us to be in because he wants to deal with our heart. He wants to deal with our broken soul. He wants to deal and change our mentality. And it's in that secret, private place where no disturbances will come our way that God begins to speak and renew and change and transform our mind and our heart and this is what happened with David that God began to deal with David God began to speak to David God began to mature David God began to tell David you are not rejected but you are accepted the book of Acts in 13:23 it says that David was a man after God's own heart David was famous for being the ultimate worshiper in the Bible a lot of our songs today, we get the inspiration from the book of Psalms. And so David is famous as a world-renowned history maker, worshiper. How many of us can say that we are truly a people of God after God's own heart? Can you say that about yourself? I am a worshiper. Can you say that to your neighbor? God, I am a, after God's own heart. Nope. I reach his throne faster than you do. Right? And so here, David was known as a worshiper after God's own heart. And I believe that here in the shepherd's field, David encountered his testings, encounters that would mold him into the famous king we all have grown to love, to read about, and to want to be like him. Right? When David was in the shepherd's field, he mentions here 
that he came in an encounter with, or he encountered um, some things in his life, right? But I believe that here in this, in this word and even in the Psalms, it says that he learned how to be a true worshiper, right? That he was not just, you know, this guy hanging out with the sheep, but he, this was a place of privacy, and that in that time, in that place, he began to cry out to God. And through the inspiration of God in his heart, he began to write songs. And he began to sing songs to the Lord about his pain, about his rejection, about his mother's sin, about how he was treated and mocked and ridiculed and how he was falsely accused. This was the place, the secret and private place that David was able to pour out his heart and worship God and use his worship to bless God. Because he was raised in a prominent home, the Bible says that his father knew the word of God. The Bible says that David loved the law of the Lord. So that tells you that he was raised up learning the word. And so it was the word that he embraced. It was the word that he learned to love. It was the word that reminded him that he wasn't a rejection. It was the word that told him you are the head and not the tail. It was the word that told him that you are, re you are accepted and not rejected. It was the word that told him that he was loved by an infinite God that made him fearfully and wonderfully in his mother's womb. And so it was in this place that as the word began to boil up in his soul, boil up in his, in his voice, he began to sing out to God and worship him that despite the trial, despite the ridicule, despite the mockery, he found a place of worship and he began to praise God no matter what. And so in this place of worship, he drew strength from the Lord. And how many of us know that when we go through trials, when we go through tribulation, isn't it in the presence of God and of worship? Isn't it in his praise that we begin to see the bondage is broken? Isn't it in the place of intimacy where you begin to hear from God? It was in the place that God began to speak to David. And he said, I knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. Everything that your brothers have said about you, everything that this land has told you, you are not rejected. And so God had to put him in a place to learn how to worship him and him alone. Man will fail you, but God, God will never fail us. And if God has failed you, you are serving the wrong God. Because I'm a testimony that God has never failed me. You want to come up here after this message and get saved and serve the right God? I'll lead you. And I promise you, God will never fail you. Amen? David also encountered a couple of other things. The Bible says that he encountered a bear and a lion. And when you think of this, uh, excuse me, when you think of a bear and a lion, you think, Arr! and he's roaring, roaring, roaring like a lion, Arr! right? All the men are like, Arr! that's their time to growl and show their manhood. And then the women too. And so here he encountered this lion, 
Imagine a big old lion. He's like Satan, roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. Mm, temptation. Mm, I'm going to tempt you. He's a lion. Pastor Gray's laughing. He was that lion last night with Sister Debbie. Arr. And the word of God says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Also, the bear in the Old Testament times um, was also a threat. It was a huge threat. Um, it destroyed uh, the vineyards. It destroyed, you know, the crops. And it also destroyed the herds. And so the lions and the bears were definitely a threat to the sheep, but also to the shepherd. And so this was a place where David had encountered some bears and lions. But also, the bear also represents in the spirit, okay? Because we're fighting a warfare. We're fighting an enemy that is spiritual. We don't see him. And so that's why we have to stay close to God. But here, the spirit of the bear represents destroyer. He represents destruction, an evil curse through inheritance or personal sin. Sounds familiar, right, with David? including a financial loss or hardship, economic loss, um, as in the bear market, um, opposition. And so here, not only was David, you know, in that, shepherd, in that shepherd's field having to overcome the temptations of the world because he was Hebrew. He was, you know, he knew the word of God. And just because those were the Old Testament, nothing was perfect about them. There were still other false gods. There were still temptation. There were still prostitutes. There were still all these things of their country and of their culture that still was sin. And so here, not only David did he have to conquer temptation and sin in his life, but he had to be in that separate place with God to, to learn how to break the curses off of his life, to renounce the sin that was spoken over his life, to renounce the sin that would keep him in bondage if he did not allow God to keep him free. And so I know that there are times in our lives here that God separates us for a time because he's trying to deal with our sin. He's trying to deal and break the curses off of our lives. And some of us, we walk in so much defeat because all we know is defeat. All we've been raised up to be is defeated. All we've been taught to be is rejected. Sin in our life. I remember when I didn't know God, I was a liar. If people came to me and asked me how old I was, I was like 13, I would say 16. That's how I got at the clubs. And I didn't even need an ID. They think I was really 21. I was like, wow, how was I dressed? You don't even want to know. But they let me in. I was a liar about who I was hanging out with. I would leave my house for days, lie to my mom. She'd be stressed out. And I would say, oh, I was at so-and-so's house, lying through my teeth. And she would ask me, what's their, what's their name? What's their number? I don't have it. Lying. I would be out there running with my friends, getting high, drunk, getting in trouble. I was a liar. And I remember when I came to God, 
this is the first thought that came to my mind was when I went to that altar and I gave my life to God and the service was over, the first thing that came in my mind was, I don't have to lie anymore. It wasn't, oh, I'm free. I don't need to, you know, do drugs anymore. I don't do drugs. No, it was within me that God said, you don't have to be a liar. And God broke the bondages off my life. Some of these other lions and these bears that we struggle with, it could be rejection. It could be pain. It could be unforgiveness. There's people here that are so, you have so much unforgiveness and it's seeping out of you and it's so unattractive and everybody can see it but you. Insecurity. A lot of us struggle with this insecurity. Imagine David, the king of Israel, anointed, the one who slays 10,000s, the one who defeated the Philistine and cut his head off with his own sword. Yes, that mighty man, that mighty warrior probably struggled with so much insecurity because all through his life, since the day that he was born, he was told he was a bastard. He was told he was illegitimate. He, would, he was told that he was, you know, of no good, that he was of low, of low standard, of low, you know, honor of any kind. If any, if he had any, he was told he was nothing. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're not going to be anything. You're, you're, I wish I never had you. Telling his brothers, imagine what has been teased him. Put vinegar. This is water I'm drinking. Right? They used to put vinegar in his cup to tease him. Could you imagine if your husband, ladies, put vinegar in your water, how mad you would be? Oh, the flesh would kick in right away. Oh, no, you didn't. Kids, you better get out. Right? Husbands, if your wife did that, oh, you're a horrible wife if you do such a thing. But the brothers would taunt this young boy and imagine the insecurity that was made or that was created in this young boy. And that's why I say that God had to speak to him. God had to tell him, you're the head and not the tail. You're the accepted and not the rejected. You are the anointed and the appointed you are the king of Israel, the future leader of my people. And yet David had to encounter some lions and some bears in that field in order to overcome a greater calling, in order to overcome a greater enemy. How many of us know? I, I believe that the Spirit of God is already showing you what bear and what lion you're dealing with. It could be a lion and a bear of jealousy. It could be a, a bear in a line of lies. The flesh, how it just always overcomes you. Another one is victimization. You know, that's a bondage. That's a mindset that it's always everybody else's fault. It's their fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. It's all of their fault. It's the whole church's fault. And yet, in your mind, you think that you're the only one who's righteous. Have you ever thought that way? It's true. People have that mentality. They blame the pastor. They blame the pastor's wife. They blame you. They blame this church. But they didn't do anything. They're the only holy ones, and God's going to take them to heaven, and we're all going to hell. Do you know that's what victimization makes people think? Did you know that? 
that's a bear and a lion. And we need to wrestle, kill that bear and that lion. We need to repent and come to God and say, fight my battles for me. God, heal me today. God, deliver me of the sin in my life. God, break the yoke of bondage. I don't want to wrestle with a lion and a bear. I want to kill it. Because I don't want to struggle in my Christianity denying the power of God. I want to walk in the fullness of God. I want to be an inheritor of the kingdom of God and walk in his blessing. And one day, some of you guys are clapping. You're not getting it. You know why? You need to get this message. I'm preaching like this because I believe that God has promises for your life. I believe that God has called you, that you're not rejected. You're accepted in the kingdom of heaven. You've been appointed and anointed for such a time that God has given you a destiny to do his will. But before you can enter into that realm of greatness, you must struggle. You must, you know, defeat. You must kill that bear and that lion out of your life. Break the curse. Break that generational curse off of your life. Break that sin Defeat the temptation. Temptation will always be there. But the word says submit to God. Turn to God. It doesn't say resist the devil and you will flee. No, the key word says submit. Submit. Put yourself under the hand of God. Put yourself under the word of God. Put yourself under the leadership of God. Resist the enemy and then he will flee. Why do we submit under God so that the enemy doesn't lie to us and defeat us and take us out? Why do we submit under leadership? Why do you listen to your leadership? Why are we here to direct you? Because we want to make sure you're not lied to and taken out of the church. Why else? I don't do what I do to just pat you on the back. I do what I do because I love you and I don't want your soul to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. If you don't like my direction because I'm telling you the truth, I'm going to tell you something. I would rather have you hate me, hate my guts, despise my face, hate my children, hate my, you know, husband. Go ahead and hate me because I told you the truth. And then later on, you come to know the truth and you make it to heaven versus me lie to you pat you on your back and let you sin more. And then you and I both go to hell and an eternal quenching of fire. Who wants to live like that? God wants to break us. God wants to, you know, put us in that place in that shepherd's field to deal with us, to, you know, receive our worship, to show us how to overcome the temptation, to show us how to break that curse off of our lives. But God also did something else and prepared King David. The word says that when Saul, um, when Saul was in distress, Saul had already lost, you know, the anointing off his life. He was still king by law. But the spirit of the God, the spirit of the Lord left him. God took the spirit off of him. And so God sent this distressing spirit to him. And so every time he would feel so distressed and so down and so troubled, he was, he, he was looking for someone to lift the spirit off of him. And so he, you know, he told his servants, find me a man 
that can play the harp for me and remove this distressing spirit from me. Find somebody. I'm in anguish right now. And so one of the servants said, I know of a man. I know somebody. Ooh, he's, he's a bastard, but I don't know. His testimony is a little hazy. You know, I don't know. You know what? But he loves God. Hmm. He does have God with him. He, he, God's with him, yeah. I know of a man. And the servant of the Lord told him, I know of a man, and he is mighty. He's a mighty man of valor, meaning he's courageous, brave. He's a man of war, slingshot. Did you know that David was a sling, a slingsman? You know those little kids, they have those little, ah, right? They hit you in your eye, ah, I'm going to die, right? But do you know that the slings, go ahead and finish laughing. Do you know that the slingsmen were the most uh, effective, most skilled warriors besides the archers? Because they had an advantage um, to um, their distance. So when it was them that had the advantage by distance to defeat their enemy, to kill their enemy off. And then that's when everybody else came in because everything else was by, by reach. But the slingsmen and the archers had an advantage to kill their enemy. And so here David had learned a couple of things by killing off some enemies from the sheep through his slingshot. And through in that field, he learned how to be accurate because he had a whole day. He had days. He had a lot of time on his hand tending to those sheep. So imagine what else he was doing. When my son gets bored, he gets, like, antsy, Ugh. starts playing, you know, on everything. And I want to do something. All right, here, draw something. I want to do something else. All right, ride your bike. Go outside. I want to do something else. All right, let's go to the movies. I'm hungry. Okay, I'll hear something. There's always something he needs to do. So imagine David, you know, perfecting that art of a slingsman accurately. And he could, he could reach far. That's how he defeated uh, the Philistine. It was far. And let me tell you why. Was that God also made him a prudent man in that field. And it was in that field that prudent means discerning. Prudent means diligent. Prudent means wise. Dealt wisely. There was things in his life he had to deal with wisely. Not just, bef not just when he entered into the kingdom or when he was Saul's armor bearer, but even beforehand that prepared him to enter into that destiny. He was um, very cunning. And I love this, is that God had to separate him mentally. That's good, right? You're like, mm, that's, mm -hmm. that's good. The word of God says, Proverbs 23, 7, whatever a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. 15.8, Matthews. Whatever comes out of a man's heart, or out of, out of the man's um, mouth, comes from his heart. And these are the things that defile him. Ephesians 5.26. To make her holy, meaning the body, the uh, church, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And it was in this place that God was developing his character. God was developing a man of God of discernment. 
God had separated him and had to speak into his life. And not just speak into his life, but change his thought process. Change his mentality from a low-level mentality to a kingdom mentality. To a man of God who had destiny and purpose. And I believe that this was the place that God prepared him for his calling. That God prepared him to receive the anointing on his life and not be so prideful about it. And not be so arrogant about it. And not be so vengeful about it. And not be so hatred about it. Right? Because the things that he endured as a child, he grew up like this for years. It wasn't two years, three years, four years. It was 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, 13, 15, 20, 25 years of taunting and a mockery. And so the um, psychology or doctors, whatever you want to call it, they say that within the five years of a child being developed is what the child will be, will be set the child will be set in their ways mentally for the rest of their life. Did you know that? And then when a teenager is, um, she falls in love. This is crazy, too, and I believe it because I've experienced it. Um, the w- a, a child, or excuse me, a teenager, when they fall in love between the ages of 16 to, like, 21, within that, those, that time of years, whoever they encounter and fall in love with, because we all fall in love in ways that are weird, but whoever that young woman or that young boy d- falls in love with, that is the way that they will define love for the rest of their life. Isn't that heavy? So if you define love between those ages and you got beat, maybe your husband can understand why you like to be hit on him. Or maybe that's why you want to hit somebody because that's what you were taught in those years. Or maybe, you know, you don't understand why you're always you know, running away from love and your husband or your wife is trying to show you affection, maybe you need to be healed from those years that were developed inside of you. Also the years of just growing up. And so here, the Bible says that um, God prepared him. God made him a wise man, a discerning man. Put him through the fire in, in many ways. But through the hardship and through the trials and through the separation, God developed a man of valor, a man of God. And through his, you know, time of trial and of testing, through his time of development, through his, you know, overcoming the lion and the bear, he had more than enough confidence. He knew a God that had his back. He had more confidence in the living God than he did over a Philistine that was threatening his people. And that's why he was able to go to that place and go to that field and go to his king and say, who is this man that defies the living God? I know a God that has given me the victory. I know a God that has given me a purpose. I know a God that has broken the yokes off of my life. Who is this Philistine? Who is this man that wants to put my people in bondage? Who is this Philistine that mocks my living God? I can get him, King Saul. Let me defeat this enemy because the living God that I serve is true and he is real. And the Bible says that he went into that field and the word of God says he didn't run away from him. He ran to him. He ran to his enemy. 
ran to him. You ever been in a fight and you ran towards your enemy? I remember one time I wanted to run, but I didn't because I had people watching me. So I had to fight. But this man of God ran to his enemy and wasn't even, didn't even have to touch him. And he took that sling and he said, that God that I serve, the God that has healed me, the God that told me I'm accepted, the God that told me I'm the head and not the tail, the God that says I am royal priesthood, I am a holy nation, the God who has redeemed me, who has taken my shame from me, the the God that I serve, the living God, who do you think you are? And he took that sling, he took that stone, and he used his slingman's efforts He used his skill, and he threw it, not even touching the enemy, but he took that slingshot, and he took that rock, and he threw it out of boom. It went into the Philistine's forehead, and it sank into his forehead, and he died right there. And you know what? David is so gangster. He is so anointed. He is so highly favored that when he went to that Philistine, I had to take a little walk because he was in a distance of him. He went to David, and he said, or he went to the Philistine Goliath. I don't have a sword on me because I only got my slingshot, but because I need to show I have a sign of victory. Excuse me. If you don't mind, Goliath, I'm going to take your sword and I'm going to cut your head with your own sword. I'm going to take your head and I'm going to let the people of Israel know that I serve a living God, that we are a God that is in victory, that we serve a God that gives us the victory, that we serve a God that will not allow us to be mocked. And that's what happened. In that shepherd's field, that God had to prepare him for greatness. God had to prepare him for that Philistine. God had to put him in that quiver, in that place of secrecy, and build up David's confidence, break the yoke of bondage, break the the curses off of his life, restore the confidence that God made him, intended for him to be. And so I want to tell you today, if you're in that place, and even if you're not, Praise God you're not. But when you do, because there will be a time, you will be in that place and you will feel alone. You're not alone because God says he's with us wherever we are. He will be with us until the day of his return. But when you feel alone like that, don't have a pity party. Don't talk about nobody knows the troubles I'm going through. Don't have a pity party. And think you're the only one. What the brethren goes through here right now in this place is what the brethren goes through around the world. So it's a guarantee. I'm telling you now, you're not alone. But when you do feel alone, allow God to take you into that place of secrecy. Allow God to put you in that place in the shepherd's field where God needs to deal with our hearts, where God needs to deal with our lives. And the word of God says, I love this, because this is how you know David had a routine and had a desire and had a moment with God and how he desired more of it was that the word says that um, in 17 verse 11, um, excuse me, 17 verse 15, 
I'll go to 14, though. 17 verse 14, it says, David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul, meaning he was serving Saul at this time, to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And so here he was serving at the palace, serving the king. He was the king's armor bearer. Then he became the king's leader of the army. And then in time, as Saul went on, he became king of Israel. But the word says that he went back occasionally, back to tend his father's sheep. And I believe that it was in those times that he had to be reminded, God, I'm really going through it right now. I'm trying to do my best in the kingdom. But I hear whispers every now and then, and it brings that insecurity back into my life. Or maybe he was so busy serving the king that he wasn't able to really worship God the way he wanted to. And it was in that shepherd's field that he could go back and worship God the way he wanted to and pour out his heart and pour out his complaints. And also, I believe that God had to deal with him still with some hurts, confidence, betrayal. Maybe God had to remind him, David, remember, you're just a man. You're not a God. You're just a man. Remember, it's my anointing. It is my favor I have given you. Don't take it for granted, David. I believe that God had to remind him every now and then. David, don't become so unteachable that you follow under the curse of Saul and his sons. David, don't become so prideful that you forget what I've done in your life. And so I want to encourage you today that if you have a life of David and and you feel like, man, I relate to him so much. I didn't know that. And you know God's trying to heal you. Remove whatever hurts or pain or sin out of your life. Let this be the place of the shepherd field where God can work in our lives. Because I want to tell you that God has anointed you. God has appointed you. God has fearfully and wonderfully made you and I. God has called you and I for this time in 2016 to do something mighty for God. God has given you a city. God has given you a country. God has given you a continent. God has given you an anointing. And you know that God is dealing with you. You know that God has called you to the four corners of this world. You know that God has a calling on your life and yet, you're wondering, well, when is it going to happen? Or why am I still here? Maybe it's because God needs to continue to deal with us a little bit more. To keep our hearts right with God. And so I want to I invite you. And if you know that this is you, I want you to come to this altar. And let this be a day where you embrace this shepherd's field in your life. That you embrace this time that God has given you in this season. Or maybe you forgot about that shepherd's field. Maybe you have abandoned what God has done in that shepherd's field.